Today on CityCast Denver. I don't know how this happened. I never thought I'd be in this position, but somehow we got on the zoo's bad side. So me and newsletter editor Peyton Garcia and our host Bree Davies, who is out for most of this week, talked it out and then we stopped by the zoo recently to squash some beef. Today is Thursday, June 30th. I'm Paul Caroli, in for Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Paul, Peyton, hi. Hi, Bree. Hey, Bree. Why are we talking about the zoo right now? So a few weeks ago on the show, our outgoing producer, Xander McMahon, who we miss, was knocking things off her Colorado bucket list. And one of those things was the Wild Animal Sanctuary in Keensburg, which I think is an awesome place. Xander had a great time. And in that episode, uh, she kind of came to this conclusion that... Maybe zoos aren't so great and sanctuaries are a better model for viewing animals. I mean, her exact words were, After visiting the sanctuary, I do really feel like, oh, why do we have zoos? Yeah, that's pretty strong. And I, I will be honest with you both. I That went in one ear and out the other to me. Like it didn't, it didn't stick with me long enough. Like I know we talked about it in the conversation, but as we came back to this today, I was like, why, why is the zoo a little upset with us again? Now I know why. It's a pretty strong statement. <laughs> it really is. So the zoo is a little upset with us. Sure. So then we got an email from Jake Kuby. He is the director of communications at the Denver Zoo. And he wasn't super stoked with how we were portraying the Denver Zoo, how, how Xander's opinion portrayed the Denver Zoo. He said, I listened to your latest episode with your outgoing producer, Xandra, talking about her recent experience at the Wild Animal Sanctuary. And I have to say, I was very disappointed by some of the opinions and comparisons expressed about zoos. He said, I'm concerned that many of her opinions are ill-informed and don't represent an accurate depiction of what modern accredited zoos do to support both individual animals and wild species. He also goes on to say, please don't get me wrong. I think the Wild Animal Sanctuary is great and plays an important role in helping individual animals. But the notion that sanctuaries are superior to zoos or that one should exist over the other is simply incorrect. So then he invited us to come to the zoo so he could correct our notions. Yeah, this just has me thinking about a couple months ago when we talked with Katie Cheshire at Westward mm -hmm. about the aquarium issues. And so the fact that the zoo reached out to us and said, hey, actually, we want to show you what we've got going on, I think is kind of awesome. They were listening and they want to show us what they got. And that's kind of what got us into this conversation was, OK, so let's go to the zoo. And here we are at the zoo. Is this like typical zoo music? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it really is. <laughs> I think so. They really want to put you in a certain state of mind. At the zoo, we met up with Jake Kuby and Brian Ocone, who is the zoo's senior vice president of life sciences. You know, I grew up here in Denver. I used to go here as a child, as uh, you know, my mom would bring me here once a year, um, which is what we could afford. And this is where I kind of fell in love and got to see all that wildlife. Um, and this is where I developed my passion and was able to see all of those. And so I'm a product of what zoos are, you know, one of the main things that zoos are able to do is, is that connection with people. And so many years later, I won't say how many, <laughs> uh, I'm here and helping to, you know, save wildlife here and around the world. 
Brian and Jake walked us all over the zoo, and along the way we saw kids screaming in delight, families circling up around animal enclosures, and all kinds of exotic animals. Love it or hate it, the Denver Zoo is an institution. I need, sorry, I need a picture of that. We will have all. You're now looking at the largest animal in the state of Colorado. This is Groucho. He's a 52-year-old Asian elephant, which is in, in Asian male Asian elephant terms is up there. He's a, he's a geriatric old gentleman, um, but he's in great health and gets great care. Um, but yeah, he's 12,000 some odd pounds and he's, he's the largest animal in this state. But back before we showed up, when it was just me and Bree and Peyton preparing, we discovered that the three of us were coming to this whole zoo sanctuary debate with very different perspectives. I have been to the animal sanctuary um, that Alexander went to. It's awesome. I love it. She's right. What they do is really incredible. They're doing important work. But I love the Denver Zoo. And I do think that there are these outdated stigmas associated with zoos and how they're these horrible, evil places for animals. And I just don't think that that's accurate anymore. I think at one point it was, but not anymore. And Paul, in talking about this, it seems that you are on the opposite end of, of Peyton here. Yeah, I, I I don't talk about this a lot because I don't think people like hearing it, at least most people, but I'm kind of a zealot when it comes to animal exhibitions. Mm. Like, I I do hate zoos. I don't like the idea that, I don't know, it's just, um, when it comes up most in my life is when I see the zoo posting on social media pictures of baby animals which is like everybody coos and retweets and it's always very popular. Um, it feels that, like one of the least harmful things on the internet, to be honest with you, Paul. Yeah, true. Like this is why I don't talk about it. It's okay. like horribly unpopular. But those animals are going to die in captivity. Oh. Like that's one of the things I like about the sanctuary is they don't breed animals. The zoo does. Interesting. It's control. So I... Oh, sorry, Paul, do you have more? Oh, I have a ton more, <laughs> but please go. I, I was just going to say, I've loved the zoo since I was little. I've always loved animals. We've always been pass holders to the zoo growing up. We went there all the time. And then there did come a point in my life, it was actually, it could have been when I first went to the wildlife sanctuary, that I started wondering if zoos were bad. And I was like, I shouldn't be supporting the zoo because they hold these animals in captivity and it's really horrible and it's really sad. And that's when I started doing research about zoos and the zoos that I was frequenting, specifically the Denver Zoo. And that's when I realized that the Denver Zoo does have a lot of initiatives that have developed in recent years that that gives back to conservation efforts and, and education about wildlife. And um, I think one of the misconceptions about having these animals in captivity is a lot of them can't be in the wild. So a lot of times when they're, and this isn't, you know, true across the board, I'm sure, but a lot of times when they're breeding at the zoo, they're breeding animals that are facing extinction um, or have struggling populations. And so they have to breed them somewhere where they have the support of humans. And then they also bring in a lot of animals who are injured um, and can't survive in the wild by themselves. So They'll bring in birds who can't fly or, you know, whatever, animals that wouldn't be able to survive. And now they live in the zoo to serve as an education tool. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. 
Well, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I'm eager to talk to them about this afternoon when we go to the zoo is this whole like breeding in captivity thing. Cause I'm really interested to hear how they handle that now. Well, it's a bit of a mix. We have some of our animals, our, our rescue animals. So they've, um, some of our sea lions are rescue animals where they were stranded and then they were deemed non-releasable um, by the uh, National Marine Fisheries Service. And so they needed a home for them. So we have some of those, our, we have our new port, our new uh, raccoons, um, they're uh, leucistic, so they're really light colored, and they weren't likely to survive in the wild because they stand out like a sore thumb to predators because they don't blend when they're almost white. Um, so those came to us because those would have been euthanized. So there's some of those, but a big part of what we do, and to the question that somebody was asking about wallabies, is that we have what are called um, species survival plans. And what that is, is it's a, we work collectively with other AZA zoos and sometimes internationally with other accredited zoos and we manage the population from a genetic standpoint of all of them. And so we have breeding recommendations based on maintaining genetic stability uh, within that population. And then those animals move around based on what those recommendations. So we, we also have what's called a stud book, and that basically shows all of the, all of the animals that have been with, within a population over whatever it is, the last 100 years, including up to, up to today. Um, that we use and there's algorithms how you take those animals and their relatedness or non-relatedness and make recommendations to breed. And so, and so a lot of those animals, like all the wallabies are coming from other zoos that have bred those uh, at their zoos based on those recommendations and then those recommendations to then pair all of those animals up here. So it's a lot of work. <laughs> so you're not, you're not just ever keeping animals here for the sake of having an animal here or? No. And you're not just plucking animals out of the wild? No, we don't, we're not going out and grabbing animals. You know, we do have animals that came from the wild, but they're usually, even Tundra, our grizzly bear, you know, she was found, her mom had been uh, accidentally killed. And so she came to do, she wouldn't have survived. Um, so when they, they rescued her and, and reintroductions are really hard, especially if you find babies, it's just that you're not, a, you're not a mama bear to train a baby bear what to do. So a lot of those are an example where they couldn't just raise it and let it go. So, because it most likely was going to die. So. And then we do other programs too, where we do breeding for release programs. So um, we've got boreal toads here right now that um, that we're hoping to breed and, and release tadpoles back into the wild here in Colorado because um, there's their populations are declining significantly due to a fungus. So we're working with Colorado Parks and Wildlife to do those. Um, so yeah, there's any number of reasons um, why we breed or why we might have them and why we move animals around. Um, but they're all related to you know continuing the populations and making sure we take good care of the animals. But yeah, we're not we're not doing that. We we don't we don't even breed animals just to have babies. If you see a baby here, it has a very specific reason, and it, and it was very well thought out of why, where that animal can be. Can we are we housing it for the rest of its life, or is it expected to go somewhere else to another good home at another AZA zoo? Um, so it's all very deliberate. Oh, <laughs> been one of our one of our gibbons. Yep. <laughs> Posted up. Oh, I see him. Yeah. That's been one of our white chief gibbon, white chief gibbons. What's his, what's his name? Uh, Vin. Vin? Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> Looks like he's about to cross over to the other island. Yeah, this area is cool. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. 
Get high quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. One of the things I really want to see is this um, this particular exhibit at Denver Zoo, which is... Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this story, but it's kind of a fascinating thing that's in Denver. It's called Bear Mountain. Mm, it's it's a yeah. historic exhibition that was that for built for brown bears like a hundred years ago. And it's one of the first uh, exhibits in the country designed on the principles pioneered by a German animal trader named Carl Hagenbeck, who was kind of like the father of the modern zoo. He's the one who had the idea to make these habitats that simulated the natural habitats where animals actually live around the world. Before Versus him, like the sideshow. Iron cages, circus cage, iron bars. Yeah. yeah. And that iron bars like pre-Hagenbeck, like exhibition ideology, that was around the same time that was like, there were human zoos. like Exhibiting crap. captive people yeah. mostly of color from other places as exhibitions and not humans. Yeah. But, and you know, Hagenbeck did that too. And that still like lasted for a while. So when I think about zoos, I just think about it as like the march of time and our changing values around animals and relationship with animals. And I feel like the sanctuary exists we can see animals. Like if that's the goal of the zoo is to provide the opportunity to see an animal, it doesn't have to be with this model that relies so much on controlling a population. And if you want to do the conservation work, like be a conservation organization. Don't be an animal exhibition organization. It's mm, interesting. I'm noticing that there are no longer bears here at Bear Mountain. <laughs> Looks like a porcupine exhibit. Yeah, this one here uh, on our right here is a porcupine exhibit, North American porcupine. Uh, at times, this has been a polar bear exhibit. Uh, this has also been a grizzly bear exhibit. It's also been a sea lion exhibit. Uh, and I think that that's a, you know, we are always learning. We're always learning from the animals and we're always trying to improve. And so we've, you know, this was built over 100 years ago. And then in that time, we've learned that, you know what, there's different ways and better ways to do uh, a bear exhibit. What was better? Like, what's wrong with this for bears that the other one is better for? So the new exhibit has a lot of natural substrate that she can dig into. She can dig her own holes. It's got a, a great water feature for her to get into. Uh, it's got climbing structures. It's got, it's got more dynamics to it and then more that are geared specifically towards a bear. I'm like having a flashback to being a kid and seeing the sign about don't throw coins in where the sea lion moat was. Yep. It was such a traumatic thing to think about, the fact that that poor sea lion ate a bunch of pennies that people threw in there. Yep, well, they're so, shiny objects that look like fish. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that part's gone. It's a little bit more now just focused on the animals that we yep. can see, yep. so it's crazy. So I'm wondering, we're standing in front of something that's really, really old. How has the zoo developed in the last 126 years? And, and secondary to that, like how does the ways you've developed compare to something like the wild animal sanctuary? Um, well, we have, you know, we, it's, we have a very progressive attitude. We have a very progressive zoo. Um, and so what we, we really think about what we call whole life planning. So as we design exhibits, as we, 
um, create spaces for the animals. We think about from the time they're born to the time that they may die, how do we create the best space for them? So how do they access the space? But also, how do we create a very dynamic space? How do we create a, a space that, that mimics what they need in the wild, all the things that they might do? So, you know, our bear exhibit, you know, we've got places that the, you know, trees that she can rub against and things that she can rub against. She can dig big holes. Um, she can den, you know, all of those things. Uh, same thing with the lions. We've got places they can climb to get up high because, you know, a lot of predators like to be up high because that's where they feel safe. They don't want to be down low. They want to be up. And so we think about all of those things, like how do they, what do they need? What are all of those needs and how can we provide them? And, and we think about how, how do we also engage with that? So a lot of our facilities are designed where, we can have those interactions, so we train our animals to participate in their own uh, healthcare. So our hyenas, we've got areas where they can they can put their neck up, and we can draw blood to get blood samples right off their neck while they stand there. But we had to design that into the system because you had to have a space that you could do that. We do that. We do ultrasounds with our gorillas um, through a special spot where they're trained. They just come up and they voluntarily let us do ultrasounds. And so it's really thinking about every aspect and everything that we know about what it takes to to have an animal have a great life and then applying that to what we do, both in our direct care and in the facilities that we build for them. I think a lot of people who have concern about zoos, it always comes back to like, they don't have enough space, they're in an enclosure. What do you say to people who feel like that? Well, I say that space is not a, def a definition of a good life. So. Humans don't have better lives living in mansions than they do in apartments. It's about the dynamics of what your existence is. Um, and that's the same thing for any animal. It's about how do you create the best dynamic environment for them and the one that matches what their needs are. It's really about what is the care that they're receiving from the people who care for them, as well as what is the space that you provide them and does it give them all the opportunities and needs that they need. Do you think that the animals have anxiety being like, this close to people all the time? I'm not saying that they can't, but we monitor the animals and we, we know what their, act their activities are and what their actions are. Um, we can, a lot of animals, if we feel like something's happening, um, we can do blood draws and measure cortical steroid levels if we need to, but the keepers are so in tune, they can watch and look for behaviors that are, that are behaviors that, that show stress. So we monitor for that and to the point we were talking about earlier, if we see some of those things, then we say, okay, well, what do we do? How do we fix this, right? So can you give us an example of when you had to do that? Oh, off the top of my head. So when we, we used to have cheetahs in the wild dog yard, and when we, we saw some, you know, some behaviors that seemed like they might be a little stressed, and so we built this big mound. Again, to my point about them liking to be up high, we put a big mound for them to get up on top, um, and those behaviors went away. So it just gave them a place that they felt more comfortable in the exact same yard that they were in. <laughs> but we created a different dynamic and a different type of space for them uh, to change that for them and they stop those behaviors. I do, I might have to demand, <laughs> I know you want to see the big cats. I did want to see the big cats. I would love to see a lion. Um, I also heard a very chatty seal a minute ago. One other thing that I want to see is, I remember this from our episode on the Wild Animal Sanctuary, was uh, Xander was talking about the elevated walkway and how the reason why they have that walkway elevated is because big cats, I think it was, get anxious when you look at them at eye level. And so coming from above makes them less anxious. Yeah, I think she said that you can tell they're anxious when they pace. And whenever you go to a zoo and you see a big cat, they're almost always pacing. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, that she said that they told her that that's a sign that they're 
anxious. Just in a constant state of stress. I guess. Oh, that bums me out. Yeah, that that is a bummer. I mean. No, I mean, we can ask about it. I'm sure the zoo has a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I want to learn. What is what is the zoo's approach to this, like, people and hum- humans and animals at eye level, and is that okay for the animals? So, yeah, it is okay. A- animals, animals on- predators or prey, would prefer to be at eye level or above you. Okay. They don't like to be below. Oh. So if you think about the higher you're up, the, the greater range that you can see of something coming at you. The lower you are, the, the, the more potential you have of things coming at you. So even though you're a predator, you know, if you're a lion, lions are still afraid of things happening to them. Sure. Or if you're an impala, you don't want to be in the lowest, the lowest thing where I have a very limited view of what I can see because the ground is rising up around me. Do the people at the sanctuary know about that? I, I, we haven't, you know, there, that's been a, that's been a long known, uh, you know, we built our tiger exhibit that way. We built our lion exhibit that way. Our tiger exhibit, we actually built with upper things so that they could get up so they can get above you if they want to. And they spend quite a bit of time up there. I mean, it's different. It looks different. It feels different to walk through. How do you, how do you define what's different about what the zoo does and what the sanctuary does? Well, what we're doing is completely different. So what the zoo is doing is we're trying to connect people with wildlife to create a conservation mindset such that they will take action. And we're also boots on the ground in the the field trying to save wildlife. Um, And we are also, we're we're one of the most sustainable zoos. So we're also walking the walk here on grounds. And our goal is to drive, to move the needle for wildlife and saving wildlife in the wild and taking action. The wildlife sanctuary provides a great opportunity for those animals that are in horrible places to come to a better place and to live out their lives not in a tiny little cage you know shoved in a corner somewhere in Bolivia um, as an example because there were some recent animals that came from Bolivia so it's, it's very different purposes for the for our organizations because we're, we're trying to do two different things we're both taking care of animals and doing that but why what we're doing as a result and the, the goals that we're doing with with the care of those animals is very different well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, yeah no thank problem. you so much. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. After saying goodbye to Brian and Jake, we walked back out to the main entrance of the zoo to wrap up. Bree raced off to the gift shop, and me and Peyton sat down to sort through everything we've learned. I feel, um, hmm, maybe smug's not the right word, but like... <laughs> Brian and Jake and those dang majestic elephants gave Peyton plenty more reasons to love the zoo. And I have to admit, I do feel a little less strident after hearing about how much planning goes into the zoo's breeding program. And honestly, everyone is going to have their own opinions about how animals should be treated anyways. So I may personally not like the idea of zoos, but as far as zoos go, I've got to admit, Denver's seems pretty good. But there is one thing Peyton and I did agree on. It's weird how diametrically opposed the sanctuary and the zoo seem to be on these elevated walkways. I mean, hearing them say it, I feel like that makes sense. Why would you want, I mean, because you think about cats in the wild, they climb trees. They, my cats love to have a high perch. Mm -hmm. That's natural for cats. So why would you want something above you? It makes so much more sense. I think that's the big takeaway. Yeah. yeah. We should email the wildlife sanctuary, ask them what the deal is. Yeah. So we don't have a winner in the zoo versus sanctuary debate, but we at least have identified a key difference between them. Because I did email the sanctuary about the walkway thing, 
and a representative got back to me pretty quick. He wrote, it seems as though the zoo is depending on people to look at it from the human perspective, as people would not like to have other people above them looking down, as we are naturally paranoid about the people up there doing something to us from above. Conversely, animals do not have a history of other animals being above them doing terrible things to each other, so they do not consider elevated people a threat. This also ignores the fact that our animals have large habitats, so the animals can simply walk away when any rude, disrespectful, etc. people make noises or act out loudly. Where the zoo has tiny enclosures, so their animals can't get away from all the noise and millions of visitors. Well, here's Bree. I think we're ready to go. Did you already share your feelings, Paul? Oh, I missed him. I'll have to listen to the episode. Just over here staring at the gift shop being like, do they have dipping Dots in there? Cause... And that's where we're going to have to leave it for now. Hopefully it's all food for thought. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Ha <laughs> <laughs>